Welcome to the Show Me The Money podcast, Unlocking Property Finance. Join us on an exciting journey into the world of property finance, where we uncover secrets, strategies, and opportunities that can turn your property dreams into a lucrative reality. Welcome to Show Me The Money, Unlocking Property Finance. Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Show Me The Money podcast. This is the second episode um, where myself and Mark talk about the uh, secrets of unlocking property finance. Um, For those of you who've not listened to our podcast before, um, I'm Ro Sharma. I'm a property investment developer based in London. I've got experience doing HMOs and I also work with young professional tenants as well as supported living uh, for housing associations. And I also do planning uplifts, working on joint ventures with vendors coming from a background of construction, project management, finance, and the military. And a quick uh, reminder of Mark for everybody. Well, mine, mine's um, less long-winded than that. I'm, I'm a broker. I find the money for people and uh, hopefully make their dreams come true and becoming millionaires through property. Um, so it's, <laughs> Amazing. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a bit more succinct. Um, but, yeah, in essence, we've both got the same uh, aim and goal to make money for ourselves and make money for other people. Absolutely. So, um, Sophia, myself and Mark actually met out in Mithin earlier this year and after, you know, having enjoyed some uh, fine food and wine, we uh, had discussions about, you know, getting this series going and and bringing on some really helpful, uh, insightful guests such as yourself. Um, So thanks for joining us. Do you want to give us a bit of an introduction? Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, uh, your background and I think this conversation is just going to flow really well from there. Yeah, of course, of course. Thank you for having me on to the first one. I feel quite honoured actually to be invited on as your first guest. But um, yeah, I started off at NatWest and RBS and your corporate and commercial banking really. And I think for me, I've always really had a property interest just purely because my family are all in property at the minute. Um, so from then on, I moved to Challenger Bank. So I was at Synergy Bank for a couple of years doing property investments, so your buy-to-let and your development finance. And then I moved to Avonmore. So I'm now at Avonmore as a relationship manager covering London. And I'm just doing development finance and bridging here. Wow. And um, uh, so we have a crossover, all three of us. We both, yeah. all three of us have worked for RBS. Um, there which, we go. <laughs> yeah. And none of us at the same time, though. Ro, I, I was there 2004 to 2007. You were a bit later, were you? So I was, I was actually at Barclays. But oh. um, I did, when oh. I was management consulting, we did do a bit of work with RBS. Or I remember certainly doing quite a few pitches there um, uh, for consulting work. So I didn't specifically, but some of my team did. Mm-hmm. And uh, how about you, Sophia? When were you there? I was there between 2016 and 2018. So I was wow. in the Gatwick corporate team. Wow. With um, one of our my friends, Ian Collins. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually in his team. <laughs> yeah. Nice guy. He runs runs a, um, uh, a, a mod type shop in yeah. Beckenham or somewhere now. That's anyway. it. Yeah. Small, Small world. world. <laughs> yes. So Everyone's today... connected. that's how it is though in property everybody seems to know everybody and I suppose that's one of the great things about um this podcast is bringing people together and talking about property and how 
people can succeed from property. So you mentioned, Sophia, you're from uh, Avermore. Um, I I know Avermore very well. We've done a lot of transactions. Do you want to tell us a bit about Avermore and where they sit in the market? Yeah, of course. So we are still quite a young company. We've been going since 2015. We started off as a small team of about four and five. Um, really and truly, I think we kind of built our name in the market because we innovated a product for park complete development, which is funnily enough prior to COVID as well. So it was um, stepping in at any stage of the build. So if someone, you know, there's a lot of reasons this could happen. You know, we went through a period last year that unfortunately contractors went bust, lenders pulled out the market and that kind of thing. So it's not necessarily something going wrong in a development but we like to step in and you know provide a solution to get the development finished and you know everyone's got that overall goal to get the deal completed and and move on to the next one kind of thing but overall we're a development lender that it's not just your ground up developments but we cover your refurbs and conversions say anything from you know buying a house doing it up and selling it on to your office to resi conversions your extensions and that kind of thing Um, But now we also do a lot of bridging. So we only really were known for to be like a development lender that only done bridging when there was a development angle on the back end. But kind of changed it up a little bit now where we've got fee scales, revaluations and legals and we're doing bridging just as quickly as our our peers in the market, which is is good. Good. And you you mentioned about the... um... Um, the development exit product so yeah. part, part complete obviously that's a a, a riskier area yeah. of the, the the transaction to be to be working because if something's yeah. gone wrong um then you know that that causes extra risk yeah what telltale signs can a um a customer be looking at to make mm-hmm. sure they don't get to that point what, what sort of things can they be doing to protect against them making mistakes and having these issues and I I don't want to talk you out of any deals because you you do do the front bit as well but (laughs) how can they avoid getting into trouble? I think it's just just doing your research really I mean especially I mean we do support first-time developers and that kind of thing as well but just finding out you know speaking to the right professionals ensuring that you've got enough of a contingency buffer in there sometimes you genuinely you know you see materials go up all the time you're seeing delays in your bricks and timber and that kind of thing that really it's just making sure that you've got the right costs and also what what is the right contingency five percent ten percent generally i like to see ten percent you know if you've got a developer who's been doing it for a very long time then five percent seven and a half percent is generally okay but yeah, 10%, I think is a good amount. I mean, some people were requesting 15, 20% on a contingency. You know, I think it's always good for the developer as well. Sometimes you go over on something that you're not expecting to go over on. And then you think, oh, no, I'm going to eat up into a budget somewhere else. But but yeah, generally, I'd say about 10%. Okay, Ro, what do you put in yours, five or 10? It depends on the type of project. Um, if it's something I've done before, um, you know, if it's not been too long since I did that and there hasn't been too many macro macroeconomic um, impacting events, then I'd expect the cost to be broadly the same if I can evidence it. Um, so depending on the size of the, of the deal and the conversion or if it's a new bill, for example, will we'll dictate. I mean, 5 to 10% is what I've typically worked on. Um, but I, I guess linked to that as well, how do you... It'd be good to actually understand what goes on behind the scenes. So one, you know, Mark and I have discussed at length on previous mm-hmm. on the previous show, the process that 
that is involved in 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 borrowing and you know what happens behind the scenes and from the lender's perspective so it'd be really helpful actually to perhaps if you could um, explain for the benefit of the audience kind of what happens when you receive an application first who who looks at it so obviously we're working on the assumption yeah. that it comes via an intermediary so someone like market or financial what's yeah. the first thing you do which are the demands departments that need to look at that deal and how do you validate things such as the build cost and whether there is enough contingency in there um it'd be good just to understand that that sort of process flow and then um, I can probably ask a few more questions then about about the bill cost contingency and and various other bits, which I'm sure you'll yeah. enlighten us with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it depends how detailed the initial proposal is to us. Sometimes we'll just see, you know, an address. This is the market value or purchase price. You've got GDV, and this is the bill cost. And they want the 12 month facility. Away you go, kind of thing. Generally speaking, with something like that, I always look at the address. I always look, you know, what's the area. Uh, I generally look at comparables, you know, what, what what's sold in the area, is there demand there over the past few years, that kind of thing. Are they setting a completely new price point in the market? You know, so all of this stuff you always want to look at, especially just looking at the location. Can I just ask a question on that? When you look for comparables, because that, that's the one thing that yeah. we try and um, talk to our customers about and make them make sure they're realistic. So they, they'll go yeah. on there and they'll say, do you know what? We, we found this HMO, whatever. It's going to be worth 500000 And then you you look on net house prices, whatever it may be, and every other yeah. one has been sold for like 240 230 And you're like, yeah. definitely not. What is there a, a particular source or site that they can go on and look at um, sold comparables? I mean, for, for me, being in the sales team, when I see the in, initial inquiry, I will normally go on, on just on right move, look at past two yeah. years, within a quarter mile, half mile, you know, what, what's been sold. Also have a look at just what's in the market. Um, yeah. Generally speaking, with credit, I probably delve into it a little bit more and, and have uh, better tools than what, what I'm using myself. But but generally speaking, like, I just go on to things like right move. There's generally so enough you, data you do... there. So... You do like the first pass, so you 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 yeah. do the initial look at the application, and you do some cursory checks on the due diligence in terms of sold prices and that sort of thing. Yeah. What what else do you do before it goes on to the next person? Who is that next person, and then what do they do? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, when it comes in, I also look at the bill cost. For me, it's you know if someone sends me a ground up development and it's less than a hundred pound per square foot, I'm really going to back back a little bit or just give a bit of feedback generally speaking you know there's a, a refurb and there's only about you know, this wind and water site and there's not much left to, to finish off and you're about 30 40 pounds per square foot would kind of make sense or you know if it is a self-build and they're not appointing a main contractor then we might get comfortable you know with the bill cost being a little bit lower than normal but generally speaking i think you know at least 150 pounds per square foot when it's a ground up development especially in this day and age you know when we're seeing things on the back end one thing that will always probably pride ourselves is we never actually lost money on a deal and i think when you've got enough there you know we do appoint professionals like your monitoring surveyor who will evaluate that but having that at the front end and being able to to give that advice you know how many days we've oh how many deals we've seen from from start to finish just being able to have that knowledge you know for example if you were to give me a deal somewhere in kent you know we would have had one that we would have completed on recently you just that we can compare, you know, these are the build costs that they completed on there and, and that kind of thing, really. So, yeah, generally, that's as far as I'll go and looking at build costs myself. But 
So from me, it will go to an internal relationship manager and credit analyst. So they will kind of review the deal ready for credit. And that's where they'll delve in a little bit more. They'll look at the full development appraisal. So they'll look at the full budget of costs from you know start to finish. They'll also have a look at the client's assets and liabilities. So for assets, you know, how much equity do they have in there? Generally, we like to see around 25% of the gross loan or something like that to, to kind of gain comfort. But that's when they'll have a, a real look into the actual client and who we're lending to, have a look at the borrowing SPV, that kind of thing. Um, and also experience, you know, looking at previous comparable schemes, if it's their first scheme, are they appointing a good contractor that has the experience? You know, have we got their details on file? And that's really like when it goes into credit, it's, probably where we delve into it a little bit more and could i just ask um you said you wanted 25 percent equity can that come from investor finance and if so what due diligence would you do on the investor mm -hmm. who's putting in that 25 percent? of course so generally speaking i mean we are okay we have had it before where you know there has been an investor involved but because they are part of the spv that the clients actually put no funds in themselves and we've managed to get comfortable on that front so I think it, it all depends on how much the client has, you know, in, in terms of their net assets, if we do need a PG from the investor and that kind of thing. I think it's we look at everything on a case by case basis. But one yeah, thing I love what what we're seeing a lot of uh, yeah. and we, we go to a lot of networking events and we see uh, a lot of new start investors. They're usually looking to get their first deal and you do do first time developers. Yeah, and they can only do that with full investor finance, and yeah. that investor generally doesn't want to put a PG in. They just want to be away from everything. They want to stick their money in and get that money plus a bit more on the way out. And yeah. any risk, they just want to you know mitigate as much as possible. So, I think you're going to see more and more of that. In my opinion, that's mm. the thing I'm seeing on on the ground. But it's, it's definitely quite common, and I think also. You know, it's on a fixed return, tends to be on a fixed return basis as well. So it's, it's effectively debt rather than uh, an equity type of investment. And as yeah. Mark said, they don't want to have exposure to personal guarantees and don't want to be on the SPV. So in that sort of circumstance, how, how, how do you deal with that? Because that is certainly something that people will be listening to uh, have looked at or have done before. How do you how do you go about yeah. reviewing those sorts of deals? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the time that we will see deals where the client has got strong assets, you know, they just don't have any liquid cash or that kind of thing. Um, you know, you might see that they've, they're they currently involved in two or three other projects and you can see that their money is there and, you know, they're clo close to the end of the projects and they are going to sell it out and get some equity back in, in time. I think in a situation like that, we can be more flexible. Whereas if you've got someone who's, you know, probably a first time developer, they have never done any schemes before. They haven't got any assets of their own. And there is an equity investor there. That's probably when we're more likely to say, actually, can they join the SPV? Because normally, yeah. you know, we would probably wouldn't get comfortable with that client off standalone, I'd say. And another yeah. question off the back of that, then. Yeah. If you've got investor finance being put in and yeah. the investor is charging an interest rate mm -hmm. or, you know, a profit share, that's obviously going to have an impact on the the figures of the development because the developer will be less likely to to make a profit if things go wrong because obviously their their profit would be halved or a lot of it would go away with the the debt servicing. Would that be taken into account as well when looking at figures? Yeah, definitely for us. I mean, generally speaking, when someone's got an investor, 
they will have a sort of breakdown of you know how they are going to charge it over the term and that kind of thing so we will always put that into our figures at the start so we have an overall sort of hard profit for the client generally we we say 15 percent, but we can go down to 10 percent, which is quite flexible in comparison to our peers in the market to be honest so yeah generally speaking we will look at that yeah and i 15 percent on the so, sorry, oh. I was just going to just ask a question about the uh, the profit. So yeah. would that be fifteen percent on the cost of the project, the or fifteen percent on the on the, okay, not on the GDV? Yeah, fifteen percent profit on cost. Okay. Yeah, because I've I've done a well, I was trying to do a transaction with you guys, uh, and the it was last summer, and the yeah. the actual profit was coming down and down and down as materials were going up mm-hmm. and up and up, and there were time delays, and it ended up with myself and the underwriter discussing the project and saying, this doesn't make sense for the customer anymore. And we went to the customer and we said, look, we don't think this is the right thing for you to do. We believe you'll be um, better off pulling out of this deal now than progressing with this. So we, we added, I suppose, extra value to the customer as a sounding board and as a partnership between lender and broker where, we had two people saying the same thing to the customer. You shouldn't be progressing with this. You're going to get yeah. yourself in a mess. And we we probably in you know in hindsight saved him a lot of money and time. And um, he was very grateful. And he's he's still coming back to us with um, transactions now. So I think we made that's, the right. That's a really interesting point because I think especially as a as someone who puts deals together. You, know, you put your heart and soul into it sometimes and and everyone you know is at risk of becoming a motivated buyer you know because you spend so much time and energy in trying to make this deal work then the last thing you'll do is walk away from it because the you know the lender or or, or your intermediary is actually advising you against it but it's great that you do that because you need people looking at it from a fresh pair of eyes so that's, yeah it's uh, really it, interesting to hear that it was tough for me because i as a broker only get paid on deals that i complete so <laughs> yeah, indeed yeah doing the right thing <clears throat> That's it. I think when it when it comes to profit, there's different ways you can look at it. For example, if you've got a client that you know they're doing a light refurb on a property and there isn't profit in that scheme, but there's a long-term investment goal and you know it's a high-yielding property, for example, then we can look to take a view when it is something like that. I think generally right. speaking, at the minute, when it's actually ground up development and there's not much profit there, it's something that I'm probably saying more than I've ever said before is I think you're actually mm. overpaying for the site, which is something, you know, that I never really said over the, the past couple of years, but recently it's something that I seem to be would saying. You, would you say, uh, and that's a really interesting observation, would you say that is more to do with um, deals that people had secured a price on probably six 12 months before or was that even you're still seeing that on deals that people are securing now as well because obviously we are seeing this dip in capital values and you know i believe strongly now is a time really really good time to be doing deals but i recognize a lot of people might have option contracts or prices that they negotiated 12 18 months ago possibly even yeah absolutely i i'd be a bit of both to be honest there there is there is one scheme in particular that we've been working on for a while that you know they put the price in a long while back um mm. and they basically i think there's a few problems that they've had you know they've had to apply for amendments in the planning and that kind of thing and i've said at this point you know the amount of money that you've actually spent on the site and you you've not even fully completed on the purchase yet i think it's probably worth negotiating on on that site now you know and there's more issues than probably anticipated at the start but yeah like you say probably a bit of both i'd say <laughs> 
that's that's really nice i really like that you kind of you know you give some guidance advice to your borrow your potential borrowers as well to say that this is what you need to be doing to make this deal work other than you know, or rather than just say actually uh, no it's not enough in it we, we can't do this um yeah so that that's really that's really interesting definitely i mean like every, everyone wants to make money and you know every deal potentially could fit your parameters and that kind of thing but it's never the right thing to just proceed with the deal if you don't think it's going to be profitable for the client as well i think that's a, I guess a big great thing, thing for us yeah that makes that makes complete sense because the great thing is that you've got the benefit of seeing deals all the time so you can mm-hmm. kind of benchmark costs you know land uh, acquisition values and all, all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff um, yeah. which you know we as we as borrowers don't don't seek now i've always thought it'd be really interesting to sit actually inside with a broker or or a lender and just be there part part of the due diligence you know just yeah. absorbing all that knowledge and really seeing what goes on what works well what doesn't how you know how things fly through and which things don't and for what reason that, that can really help us with our applications on that road i know you're a facts and figures kind of guy and you like spreadsheets and things like that i'm i got a lot of the time obviously facts and figures are very important and the most important but gut feel and assessing from experience i suppose is is really important as well and you know when i you know the escape room games that, that you do we have to break out of a room when my wife and i have done these in the past she goes on looking at the clues and the facts and going through everything and i just press stuff because i've got a gut feel that you know i've got to press this part of the wall to let me out and a lot of the time in, in property development you need that intuition and the the other side to it as well so you can have all the facts and figures and everything work out but you, you sometimes you need to take a risk sometimes you you need to be looking at things that haven't worked for people previously because at the end of the day people make money when other people aren't doing that thing as well and they're creating new trends so for me a big bit of advice for people listening are Get your facts and figures. Make sure you you have a tight ship, but then make sure you are also doing things innovatively and making sure that you are maximising your potential by using your creativity. And then underwriters here, and they're like, no, we're not ending. Makes sense. What sort of timelines do you guys work to at Evermore? In terms of when you receive an application, how quickly yeah. can you turn around decisions? And then obviously there's the actual drawdowns as well, which is what this is all about. Tell us a little bit about the process that needs to take place before the money is actually drawn down by the borrower for that acquisition on completion yeah. date. Yeah, of course. So we have heads of terms, which is credit committee every single day, basically. Um, it's not just you know the credit team. You've got our CEO on there. You've got our head of investor relations who deals directly with our funding lines. You've got our head of credit, head of underwriting, that kind of thing. Everyone kind of joins the call every day or in the meeting room every day. And generally, we just discuss every deal. You know, we've got our credit analysis and our internal relationship managers sort of sitting there presenting deals and it's sort of not like a voting system but to get everyone on board and, and say we're happy with the decision we actually appoint an underwriter from day one once we've approved it so a lot of people will right. wait until you know reports have come back and then it gets handed over at that stage whereas we get an underwriter generally on a call with the client and you know and um the broker as well from day one 
you know this is what needs to get done if, if you've got a timeline that you need to meet we need to know about it now rather than waiting for the reports to come back like it does also help when we're requesting professional quotes on who can come out to site the quickest if it needs to be done if it's an urgent case for example or you know some people have already exchanged by the time they come to us for full application so it's a, we've got 28 days from two weeks ago <laughs> that kind of thing so we we do like to to, to know up front you know, how quickly they like to complete and for us generally speaking you know we use professionals that can go out onto site next day you know that week next week that kind of thing so generally we'll get the reports back within a week or two weeks probably max really um and then from then on once the underwriters are working on the case and it's going through legals i generally say two to three weeks of completion once we've received the reports I think one thing I'd say is on your bridging when you've got quick purchases, your refinances and your auctions and that kind of thing, we'll generally get you know stage one valuations uh, out onto site the next day and uh, get your report the day after that. Legals are instructed on a fee scale and generally it's a turnaround time is between 10 days to two weeks on that kind of stuff. So it depends yeah. on the deal specifically, I'd say. Okay. That's, that's that's encouraging, and so in terms of the reports you would normally commission, obviously you've got your your valuations there. It goes out. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously you instruct the legals as well. Yeah. Once that's all, you know, once all the the, the necessary payments have been made yeah. to to initiate that. Um, anything else that uh, sometimes you you do need to commission as well, which maybe perhaps a little bit off the beaten track, but um, perhaps something you're seeing more of. It really does depend case by case basis, to be honest. I mean, we've had one recently where the client has needed to go and get a batch survey or this kind of stuff. We always get, you know, at the start, sometimes you might need a structural report, but it really does depend. Um, you know, it's not something that will request a standard. A standard like for development is just your monitoring, surveyor, evaluation and your legals. And then for bridging, it's just evaluation and legals. But other than that, I think it's all case by case basis, I'd say. Yeah, makes sense. Um, when it comes to then the drawdowns for your, yeah. um, so let's say it's a refurbishment facility or, or a development yeah. facility after the um, the acquisition. Generally speaking, people always need to spend money for the first kind of, yeah, you know, for for the first stage payment to then claim it back. Most lenders I've worked with or at least spoken to, that's how they work. Is that is that standard for for you guys as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we will always draw down in arrears. For me, I think yeah. personally, if you're providing the the funds you know, in advance, then anyone can can do it at that at that stage. You know, for us, it's we've got an internal asset management team, so we also appoint an external MS to go out onto site. You know, they'll review, verify that the payments have been made, and they'll verify the costs that have been spent and we'll draw down against their certificate. But at the same time, we also have an internal team of asset managers who will keep on top of the deal. So for example, if there are any delays, we'll be on top of it. We don't ever want to be in a position that we're not that kind of lender that will just put a client on a default rate and, you know, wait for them to get out on their own. We'll always try and find a solution to, to make things work. So it does help to have that team internally too. Right, very good. Got a question for you on the, because you mentioned, obviously, you, you do a cursory review of all build costs when the applications yep. come in as well. <clears throat> what are you typically seeing? So, like, in the southeast, let's say London for now. Yep. We're not talking prime central London. But what are you seeing in terms of light refurb, heavy refurb, and then mm-hmm. new build costs per square foot? I'd probably say rough, light rough refurb. 
Yeah, light refurb, I'd probably say between 100 to 150 pounds per square foot, really. Sometimes on when it gets a bit heavier, I'd say about 180 to about 200 pounds per square foot. Um, yep. Generally on your ground up developments, at least 200 pounds per square foot, I'd say, especially in your London southeast prime areas, to be honest, at, at least at least 200 pounds per square foot. So Mark and I discussed this the last time. Obviously, you get some people who manage builds themselves and they'll yep. put in quite low build costs because there's no overhead yeah. and uh, and and, um, and profit for a main mm-hmm. contractor for example how do you view those types of applications where someone is putting a build cost that they can achieve mm-hmm. but no one else would necessarily be able to achieve if if they if they went under how, how do you how do you typically deal with those uh, those sorts of assessments of build costs of course i think for us like, we're, we're always going to be in a position that we will take it into consideration if a client is doing self-build rather than appointing a main contractor i think for us that is definitely something that our ms will will take into consideration but i'll always say we like to fund at market build we won't charge you if you don't draw the whole thing but if any stage we have to take over the build unfortunately we don't have those contacts that are able to you know do it for 25 pound per square foot or wherever it may be to be honest so we always like to have that buffer there you know we won't again as i say we're not going to charge you if you don't draw it if you draw what you need that's what you'll get charged on but we like to have the full build facility there at market build to be honest makes sense and what about project management then because again a lot of people um for but probably at the smaller end of the scale, will manage the projects themselves. What do you expect to see um, in terms of um, any allocations towards those management costs, if, if at all? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, when it's uh, management costs there, some people will put them in, some people won't. I mean, we don't generally like to see them sort of paying themselves in the build facility. Sometimes you see quite a large amount in there. Um, we generally review those up front, you know, if they are on site and and that is what they're going to be doing. Then, of course, you're always going to cater for those management costs um, for a project manager. But it, it does depend. It, it really does depend on the case. You know, if you've got a light refurb and someone's being paid a lot more than normal, but they're not actually on site as much as expected. You know, to, it's to, only to watch to watch the paint dry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. And it's only, you know, a three month term and that kind of thing. And you've got an extortionate amount. Then, of course, it's something that we'll probably look at a little bit more. But, you know, if you've got a, a larger build and it's something that someone's essentially doing a full time role and they've got a full full team behind them as well, then definitely, you know, something that will be a little bit more lenient on, I'd say. That's very, very, very helpful. I think uh, I'm just watching watching the clock in turn we, we're covering some great content here but have you got any more questions that you you think we should try and cover with sophie in the last few minutes uh, I'm, I'm not so sure there's one that we're gonna gonna end on um to, to all our guests and that is the the top your top three tips for property investors or developers uh, that you could give okay i think first tip would be do your research um just not just on the area but also just everything the build that kind of thing i think it probably ties into another point that i'd say is just build a reliable network in terms of which professionals you're using could be architects your contractors you know just make sure you're you can rely on the professionals that you're using you know you've got the you've had a look at their reviews you've had a look at their previous projects and that kind of thing so you know who typically you're going to be using on your scheme you know make sure they're trusted and that kind of thing and seek professional advice I'd say you know from a broker like yourself Mark I think it is quite important there's a a lot of 
But as you know, it's very very important, exactly. And, you know, there's so many factors that go into one development scheme, for example, that you just wouldn't even think of if it's your first time and that kind of thing. And even people that have done it so for so long, they're so knowledgeable on how to get the project done. But in terms of the finance that, you know, the market's constantly changing. So just, yeah, I'd say seek financial advice. Yes, good. Okay. well, that's great. Thanks, Sophia. Um, I think... We'll wrap it up there. Uh, thank you for coming on. And uh, we will hopefully have some um, some more great content in our show in two weeks' time. So we're going to put these on every other Thursday. Um, and hopefully people have enjoyed it and they're going to tune in going forward. So thanks a lot, Ro. Thanks, Sophia. And uh, we'll say goodbye to everybody. Thank you, Sophia. Thanks, Mark. Fantastic having you on. Thank you for having me on. Take care, bye. Bye. That concludes another episode of Show Me The Money podcast, Unlocking Property Finance. Connect with us on social media where we share additional tips, resources, and behind-the-scenes insights. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, and keep making those smart investment moves. This has been Show Me The Money, Unlocking Property Finance.